What's up, guys? I am so excited to kick off this podcast with my very first guest, Dylan Wolf. She was an old teammate of mine, and we played soccer together at American for just one season. And I say play lightly because we both ended up having injuries that season. But Dylan has such an insane story of how her very first ACL tear in high school led her down a very difficult road. Just a series of unfortunate events from infections to more surgeries to re-tearing it multiple times and ultimately how all of that took a huge toll on her mental health. So I, along with so many other people, are so inspired by her courage to really open up about such an important issue that is mental health. And she had to make an extremely difficult decision to basically save her knee but give up her soccer dreams. So she recently graduated from American with her bachelor's and her master's degree. She accepted a job with an amazing organization in DC called Grassroots, which she will share a lot about later on in the episode. And to add on to all that, she's going to be an adjunct professor at American. So I just cannot get over how inspiring her story is and how all of these insanely difficult experiences ultimately led her to a really great place where she's now empowered to educate young students and open up the conversation about mental health. And she talks about how it's okay to not be okay and how she surrounded herself with a really positive support system. So we covered a lot in our conversation and I don't want you to miss any of it. So I broke it up into three episodes. This first one, we talk about the college recruitment process and the story of her very first time tearing her ACL, first time out of many, um, and how that led her to her experiences in college and all the way up until she started out as a Division One athlete. So enough of me talking. Here's my conversation with Dylan. I'm really excited to have Dylan Wolf one of my old teammates from American with me um, on the very first episode of uh, this podcast, <laughs> Name To Be Determined. We had the chance to play for AU for just one year together, and I say play lightly because <laughs> we were both injured the same season. Um, but for you, I just kind of want to start with like bringing it all the way back to when you were growing up and when you first started playing soccer, falling in love with the sport. Take me back to that that time. I started at a very young age. I was really thrown into it. And I feel like, at least where I'm from in Indianapolis, like there's such a huge culture of sports, obviously like NCAA headquarters, Indy 500, you know, all that good stuff. So many sports teams. And so when I was little, my parents threw me into everything. They're like, let's just see what takes. And, um, you know, I played rec soccer, rec baseball, rec basketball, like all that stuff. And so I think soccer just like clicked for me, even at an age, I don't even think I remember liking it. I was like, I knew that I did. Um, and so I played rec soccer, was really good. And my mom played soccer when she was growing up. So she was like also a little biased. Yeah. Um, I think like what I really loved about it was it was like really became my outlet and like my happy place. Mm. And I can touch on this later, but like, I think that for me, that was like one of the harder parts of having to give it up is like anything that I went through at home or in relationships or with myself, 
I could turn to soccer and let that be my outlet. I mean, I was the same exact way where soccer, I lived, breathed it, had all the posters hanging up in my room. That's all I cared about. Like, I was like, I'm going to play in the Olympics. But was there something else for you where, like, if I went back and I asked 10-year-old Dylan, what do you want to be when you grow up? Was it soccer focused always or was there something else? It was always soccer focused. I actually have a... um... You know, in school, they asked you, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your favorite color? What's your, you know, blah, blah, blah. I actually have a, like, framed poster of, like, we had to make a collage about us. And then we had to answer those questions. And my one was, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, I said, I want to play soccer um, on the Olympic team or, like, go to the Olympics. Um, I knew I never was good enough for that. But <laughs> I... <laughs> the dream (laughs) oh man yeah I mean I just like obsessed over like the 99ers the 2003 team like Brandon Chastain Mia Hamm like that those were just my idols so did you have any specific like mentors growing up or people that you just like idolized like that for me I think a lot of it had to do with watching the high school team which is like they're very like close in peers but I remember being in middle school and like going to all the high school games and being like, Oh my gosh, these girls are so good. So cool. And I thought to myself, like, I want to be like that cool, like soccer girl or whatever. And, um, when I was a freshman in high school and the high school soccer was really big for me. And I know it's not the same experience for a lot of people. Um, but like our high school team was better than our football team. And so everybody came to the soccer games. So it's like, it was awesome. Big culture on soccer at my school. And um, we, I made the the varsity team as a freshman in high school. And that was like the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. And I was so anxious and I thought I had asthma. I literally <laughs> thought I like developed asthma, but I like went to the doctor like, no, you just have like sports induced anxiety. Like, oh, same. That's <laughs> little, they gave me an inhaler just to make me feel better. Like here, just to <laughs> mentally make you feel better. And I had so many girls that I looked up to, like, that were seniors that were just such good soccer players. I was like, they are awesome. So I think that was a big motivator, too. But I had a coach um, when I was, like, 13, and he was like, have you ever thought about playing Division One soccer? Like, I think you should do it. I think you can do it. And I was like, really? Like, Division One? I was like, no way. So, so did it take, like, someone from the outside telling you that you were able to do that, or did you feel that? from within I didn't really feel with it from within because I think I was I really compared myself to other girls and I thought for sure like oh well I'm like I'm not as good as her she'll go play do you want I won't mm-hmm. so I didn't have a lot of like confidence in myself like internally um but it was just like a grind like once he said that I was like okay I can like really start to consider this but I wasn't like d1 or nothing like I really just wanted to continue to play soccer I just remember the college process. It felt like dating. I was like, okay, is this coach going to answer me? Like, is he ghosting me? Like, what was that process like for you? Yeah, so I, once I decided that like playing soccer in college is what I'm going to be doing, I needed to get to a better club. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the ECNL, which is there's only one ECNL team in the state of Indiana. And so I was like, okay, this is going to give me the opportunity to get to showcases, get seen in front of coaches. Actually, one of my teammates 
that her older brothers played soccer at Princeton. So I was like, that's so cool. They went to the same high school as me. They were really good at soccer. Um, and I was, and I, and I mean, I had great grades. So I was like, you know, maybe Princeton would be an option. And, you know, I was emailing with their coach for a really long time. They were pretty interested and, you know, they're like, okay, like we can't get to your showcase. You have to come to our ID clinic. And I happened to fall on my prom night. And I was like, okay, I have to make a decision here. Yeah. And so my, I talked to my coaches about it and they're like, you're going to, you know, wonder if, if you hadn't gone, if it would have worked out, which it didn't, they ended up not even needing my position. And that's just like the nature of recruiting. Um, but yeah, lots of emailing. It really did feel like dating. Um, but then, you know, American saw me at a showcase in New Jersey. He was just, there was like, we, you know, we'd love to have you out on an official visit. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool in DC. Like I never thought about that. And I had some other like offers on the table, but they were from schools like literally in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they were fully funded division one programs, phenomenal, whatever. But I, I was like, I need to go somewhere where I feel like I'm going to like it if I am not playing soccer. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that's like whenever I have, you know, a girl that's maybe in high school and they're in the college recruiting process, that's like the one piece of advice I give them is like, go to a school where you're going to be happy without your sport. So obviously, with all that being said, soccer was your life and your everything and what's getting you motivated to go to college. So let's talk about what happened on your senior night of high school. Yeah. So like senior night was the coolest thing ever. It was, you know, everybody being recognized before the game. So it was, you know, saying little fun facts about them, what their plans for college are and like hearing them say like on the announcement, like Dylan Wolf is going to be playing soccer at American university in Washington, DC. I was like, I am so cool. And I, <laughs> that like makes me feel so happy too. Like, yeah. awesome. And we had like massive stands, bigger than we ever did at AU. And it was fully packed, you know, game, game started. And five minutes into the game, I got bodied off the ball. I'm pretty sure her number was 17. I will never forget this. She <laughs> bodied me off the ball. And I just like knew in an instant something was wrong. And it was probably the worst pain ever I'd, I'd ever felt in my whole life. And um, it was just right in my knee. Um, and it was excruciating. I was screaming, crying. And I remember, you know, the trainer coming over, getting me off the field. And I was getting iced, didn't know what was wrong, was crying. And I was like, okay, so can I go in in the second half? And she was like, okay, you should try to walk first. And obviously that didn't work out. When you had that like, overwhelming feeling of emotion when it first happened were most of those tears you know from the pain or was it like a little bit of a oh shit I hope it's not what I think it is like that sort of emotion it was an oh shit because the pain was like instant and but it was the feeling of like you know is my whole soccer career over what what's the implication of this Mm -hmm. am I done am I ever going to be the same yeah yeah, no, that's that's definitely something that like sometimes people say that they just like black it out and they don't remember it happening, but I know for me like when I had my last concussion, it was like it was like all the pressure finally just like once it happened and that fear of that potentially ever happening just it happened and you just know in an instant like 
you don't need a doctor to tell you, you just know the severity of it. Let's like break down the insanity that was your surgery process. You know, I went to get my MRIs, all that stuff. And they were like, yep, ACL's torn. You're going to need a reconstruction. And so like throughout high school, I'd known so many people that had torn their ACLs mm -hmm. and they came back fine and they looked fine. And so I'm like in my head, like counting the months, like, okay, how long is this recovery? And like, will I be okay by July, August? Because mm -hmm. that's when college preseason was. And so I went in for my first surgery in September of, of you know, that year before college. And um, everything seemed to have gone fine. Um, and it wasn't until post-op, I just, something wasn't right. I wouldn't stop bleeding, like constantly having to replace my bandages. And so my mom and I were like, this is weird. Like, does this happen normally? Like I literally have pools of blood like underneath my, um, this like plastic thing that's supposed to, you know, contain it. And I was just like, what is going on? Um, I was like, okay, they'll probably just restitch me. So like go in and he was like, this doesn't look very good. Your incisions like aren't healing correctly. Um, we think you might have an infection. So I was already on antibiotics. And so they're like, okay, you're already on antibiotics. It should be fine. Like, let's just clean it out, restitch you. But I had to go under for it because when that happens, they have to kind of like debride you. So they have to open you back up, get all the contaminated tissue out, and then stitch you back up and you're on your way. So it happened. I was like, okay, fine. Now I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Um, small setback, it'll be okay. And then, that two, right, that was surgery number two. That was surgery number two. And so then it just, after that, it just kept getting worse. And I was having main issues with one incision. So I was like, okay, this is the problem area. And then after they did surgery number two, um, I was resting probably for about a week. And my knee was just still so swollen and, you know, like, how am I supposed to know, like, what's right, what's wrong? Um, and I started having, like, this is so graphic, but, like, pus come out of my other incisions that weren't the problem area. Which is scary. Pus. You're like, what is going on in there? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just like, it's just coming out of all of the incisions. And I was just like, what is going on? I was like, okay, I knew for sure it was an infection at this point. And it hadn't gone away. What month were you in? So you had your first surgery in September. Where are we at now in the timeline? We are, it was, I got my surgery end of September. So this is like very early October at this point. And you're a senior in high school. This is your senior year. Okay. My senior year. And so at that point, <laughs> at that point, I'm like emailing my professors. I'm like, hey, I had a complication. I'll be out like another week. And then so they went in, debrided it again. So that was surgery number three and went under. And it just kept happening. So this happened one more time. Um, I was on much stronger antibiotics at this point. Um, and since the infection just kept getting worse, they were like, okay, we need to do these antibiotics, antibiotics by IV. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, I had to go into the infectious disease center of Indianapolis and they had to like, you know, give me my stuff, you know, however many times a week. Um, but then 
because all of the tissue surrounding where that spot was infected was necrotic. It was just not salvage, salvageable at that point. Um, I, they basically had to cut it out. And so now I have this really cute like dent on my leg. <laughs> and so what they did was they cut it out and it was probably like, I wanna say like half an inch deep. So they had to pack it with you know the sponge stuff, put a clear sheet over it and attach to this tube called a wound back. And so what that did was it sucked all of the air out of my incision so that it was sterile and then promoted like tissue growth. And so it was this like permanent, semi-permanent bag that I had to hold on to attached to my leg. So I was like taking finals and this thing is like bubbling right next to me, making all these super loud noises. They really were like fart noises. It was so like horrible. I was, I was like, I promise, like, it's the bag. Like, I, I was farting right now. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I know. I really wish. Um, but it was, the wound back sucked. Ended up needing to get a pick line in my arm um, so that they didn't have to keep, you know, basically sticking me with needles. They're like, okay, you're gonna have to get antibiotics, like, so often, probably every day. Like, let's just make it, put it in your arm. And um, my mom had to learn how to do, to administer antibiotics by IV, but at home, which was just crazy. She was so overwhelmed, but she was a rock star. She like had to take off like a month of work. I couldn't keep anything down. And that's just kind of like the nature of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. It's just like this lack of appetite, feeling nauseous all the time. And so from the time of me having this first surgery and me kind of at the last stage of my last surgery, I lost 30 pounds, which was just absurd. Um, so I literally looked like a toothpick and I was, you know, in a wheelchair, um, couldn't really be doing anything and got back to school, tried to finish out the semester. My teachers are like, well, what are you doing here? Like, you just shouldn't even be here. Um, and they were really cool about everything because they knew it wasn't my control. It was just a horrible, horrible twist of fate so want to be back in school or what was it like what was really getting you through was it being around your friends or not being around your friends like that could be hard to seeing them do walking <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I actually hate like I hated going to school because it was just really 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 uncomfortable and there was a lot of attention drawn to me and at that point I I it was I felt embarrassed and I, ha I felt like I had to, had to keep like explaining myself, I think, which was really hard. And, you know, even teachers like commenting on how much weight I lost. And so I was just like, I wanted to be home, but I had missed so much school at that point. I missed a month of school. So I was like, I, and I was really grades focused. So I was like, I really just need to be in class no matter if I'm retaining it or not. What was like your light at the end of the tunnel? What was your, okay, if I get to this point, I'll feel good. Or like, what were you really working towards? Was it still crushing D1 soccer? Or was it just like, I want to use my leg? Yeah, no, I was still very like, I'm going to be such a good soccer player after this. Like, I'm going to be so strong. I'm going to not only be like mentally tough because I've been through all of this, but like, I'm going to work that much harder so that my body can handle it. Yeah. And once I finally got the wound back off and I could start, you know, really rehabbing like a normal person, um, 
that was just like my main goal. I was like, I'm going to work as hard as it takes because I want to have an amazing division one soccer experience. And I, I don't know if I like took that too far. Cause that's like all I did was, you know, work out, train as much as I could. Um, and I was feeling pretty confident and I got clear, I ended up getting cleared. And so at that point I could only bend my leg probably at like a 90 degree angle. Oh my God. And I was like, why, why is my leg like this? And my surgeon was like, it's just from the scar tissue buildup from all of the surgeries. Because at that point I was doing everything that I could to get that mobility back, but it just kind of locked into that place and healed that way. So I was like, okay, I'm going to look weird running, but I'm still gonna be able to run and I'm still gonna be able to kick a ball. And um, yeah, so that was kind of what happened right up until I left for college. All right, sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger like that, but check out episode two to hear more from Dylan and what happened as she entered the world of a division one college athlete.